0: This is Scamp Life, The Other
1: Side.
0: A bi-weekly podcast for summer camp professionals hosted by Kelly Cook and Natalie Hamilton.
1: Now it's time to explore the other side of summer camp.
2: Welcome back to Scamp Life, The Other Side. It is Kelly and Natalie here today. And uh, we've got an awesome uh, person with us their name is Carmella. Um, I'm going to let Carmella introduce themselves, but um, before we get started, today's episode is going to be a really great one to help all directors and leadership uh, w- with staff, with staff training um, and kind of what they can give their staff as tools uh, seasonally to help talk about DEI with their campers, with other staff and whatever those conversations might be. So Carmella, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, for sure. So my name's Carmela Montenegro. I use she, they pronouns. Love that you're respecting the pronouns, Kelly. Absolutely love it. Um, I work as the Race, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Specialist at the REI in Dillon, Colorado. And on the side I am working as a DEI consultant for Not Mad Just Misunderstood, a new DEI consultant that I launched earlier this fall. Um, My background is in outdoor education and outdoor retail. I work in REI, uh, Recreational Equipment Incorporated, I think it is. So a lot of my focus is on inclusive leadership, talking to people from different cultures and a lot of outfitting and understanding different body types when it comes to outfitting different customers, students, and adaptive folk. So that's my background. I met Kelly at a book club hosted by the American Camp Association earlier this fall. Uh, We just clicked, here we are doing a podcast.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Karbella. Um, So before diving into our main focus around staff and camper conversations in DEI, what is one thing that you feel people get wrong about DEI that you'd like our industry, the camping industry, uh, to understand about it?
1: Yeah, one of the biggest things when I talk to potential clients and a lot of people who are hesitant to take DEI into their own hands is they feel that DEI is a means to attack their person personal values their team whereas DEI consultants and DEI educators focus more on educating finding you in the middle and i guess easing your way into more inclusivity i'm not here to tell you that like white people are bad there are different faults from every different culture that is correct but i want to explore like why you feel that way and how to understand different cultures and bridge that gap
0: Um, So in the camp industry, you know, DEI work has been a a spotlight for many, many years, and so there's lots of trainings out there, but a lot of them are really geared towards director or, you know, year-round level staff. Um, What are some ways that directors can help educate our seasonal staff, our summer staff?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this this morning when I was having breakfast, and... Um, I think about this kind of stuff all the time. And (laughs) I was reflecting back on a LinkedIn Live that I was listening to probably like two, three weeks ago. I believe all of it is uh, weighted on leadership and those with more seniority. Uh, The quote was systemic problems require systemic change. And a lot of the systems is based on leaders who have been there for years and developed that culture within that team. And although uh, the question is based for like the rest of the team, I think um, internally, a lot of the emphasis should be on the leadership. And guiding that is setting that example, having those really nice onboarding meetings for the staff members. Um, I just read an article by Harvard Business Review that when you, it was something like, uh, when your direct manager meets with a new hire within 30 days of employment, they're 12% more likely to have meetings, 30% more likely to be engaged higher chance of retention. So I think having that early meeting, establishing DEI early on, makes it a lot easier to uh, establish that psychological safety, that trust, saying like, I am that resource, I'm not perfect, but I'm here for you. I think that's one of the core things you should do when trying to establish that within the lower level of the team. And another thing that I've seen a lot of talk on and LinkedIn and Twitter is that a lot of leadership, especially those who are like white males, don't really see, don't understand the struggles of BIPOC or uh, neurodivergency or needing aid, is understanding where your limitations are. So I identify as queer first-generation immigrant, I know what my labels are. I know what communities I establish myself with. And I know within years of experience, what I can talk about. And I use those opportunities to connect with other students and my team, but I cannot talk about the Black experience. I can't talk about having ADHD or autism. So what I do within my team is I have series of resources I have list of content creators on LinkedIn, Instagram, that I recommend that they follow and say, I don't know anything about this. I wanna grow with you. Here's some things that I've been learning with um, Renee Chacon, another DEI consultant based out of Commerce City in Colorado. I follow her content. I don't know what it's like to be indigenous or Latinx. I follow along with my team, say, let's grow. Let's talk about this. What can we learn about this? And understanding that humility is super important when you don't um, align with certain communities and growing along with that. And another thing that I do that I'm going to be doing with my client is a personal audit of my social media accounts. I was going through my Instagram page and I was like, okay, it's just a lot of people that look like me, which isn't wrong. Like a lot of Filipino Americans could use the traction, but um, I try to follow more content from folks who have ADHD, folks who are lower income, folks who are more on the activist side of DEI, and folks who are um, more indigenous. So doing a personal audit for your accounts can help you understand different perspectives as well. So again, lowering your limitations where you can speak to uh, auditing your personal accounts. So really, you
2: you recommend that instead of regurgitating everything that we as leadership are learning, that really it's more of creating a safe space and a community
1: and trust with your staff. I think it's a lot easier to develop. In my team, personally, it's a lot easier to develop that soft skill rather than just saying like, "Okay, I memorized every single word in uncomfortable man <laughs> or uncomfortable conversations with a black man." Like developing that soft skill is a lot easier than mm-hmm. memorizing books and articles at a time and just picking like a couple things and learning alongside with that person. Yeah.
0: Well, that's an important skill for our summer staff to be able to take on to their next job when they're, you know, not in the seasonal um, role anymore, when they do get those full-time roles and those leadership roles, wherever they may go past camp, you know, giving them that, that start and those tools and understand how they can build, build them on a small scale and then take that with them as they continue their journey on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Soft skills. We love that. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: <laughs> so a lot of people out there are talking about bringing in, you know, consultants to, to help with training or, or different people who can speak to different areas of either BIPOC or DEI or different, you know, sections of it. Um, but for camps who don't have the funds to bring in those those outside resources to train their staff, what are some things they and keep in mind that many leadership people in the camping industry are primarily white directors. Um uh, what can they do to give staff the tools they need around DEI?
1: Yeah, this is a question that I was thinking about the last couple of weeks too. And one of the things that came to mind is essentially building a resource deck, And I'm trying to figure out how to do that within my own business for my clients as well and hoping to share that with the public. So I have a big list of content. So anywhere between like 10 minutes to 30 minute YouTube videos, TED Talks, hour-long podcasts, books, articles, things that I've read essentially creating lists of questions, like discussion questions, based around um, these pieces of content that I've uh, discovered. And it comes back to the quote that I learned back when I was focusing on education. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to keep creating your own content. You don't have to create your own learning program. You can learn from so many things on the internet now. The biggest thing now is figuring out how to make that resonate with the team. And something that I'm doing with the client, one of my duties is uh, being involved with their DEI committee and hosting a roundtable discussion or a workshop every month. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, how to create so much content? How do I create so much educational stuff for the client? And I remember sitting in my desk, like right here thinking, okay, I literally have a Google doc sheet with tons of articles. And figuring out what kind of content and what kind of information your team most need at the time would be very helpful in figuring out how to have those conversations. So I have, it was an article, I read it a little bit ago talking about, uh, it was on Medium, talking about people putting um, the FIFA World Cup on television and the perspectives of different people, Americans, Spanish, uh, people from guitar, how they're approaching the media. And one of the questions I posed on LinkedIn is, is there truly a right or wrong to approach media? Is there really a right way to approach culture? And that's essentially going on my Google Doc sheet. And I encourage leadership to have, to search for search certain articles and essentially pose those questions, things that would challenge your team appropriately but also not push them to a boundary where they don't talk push them to a way to be curious I think curiosity and building that trust is super important when it comes to DEI because it allows them to open minds but you know when you're pushing them a little too far when they don't speak
0: Okay. Um, so in, you know, kind of in the early days of the you know, LGBTQ plus awareness, lots of camp counselors and even director level, we were kind of taught that or in trained to thank campers and tell them that, you know, we were proud of them for feeling comfortable enough to come out to us, to speak to us about this, about, about those things. Um, and then kind of just leave the conversation at that. Um, how do you suggest camp counselors and we train camp counselors to facilitate conversations about racial diversity um, when a camper brings it up? Is it the same concept? Should we be approaching it in a different way?
1: I think this is a tough question because the queer community is more openly accepted now, whereas you can see race a little bit more definitely, but it's harder to talk about compared to queerness Mm -hmm. and the queer experience and the queer agenda, queer agenda, quote unquote, whoever. (laughs) whatever that means to each of us. Um, I think one of the biggest things when I did have these conversations when I was a camp counselor is just shutting up and listen. It's really easy, especially with students and understanding my position of power compared to a student or a customer or a client that I am inherently in a position of power because they are essentially paying me to help them out, guide them. And this is a moment to understand my position of power and just shut up and listen. And it's very easy. And the reason I bring up power in that is because there's a lot of risk of gaslighting or a term more commonly, or becoming more common is calling race lighting. So gaslighting someone because of their race-based experiences. And it's very easy to over-question them to a point where they doubt their personal experiences. And it's very easy to impose yourself on them because of your position of power. So one of the easiest things, again, is just shut up, listen to them, dive in deeper, let them talk and know that you don't have all the tools. I think that's another thing that I didn't take advantage of enough when I was an educator is accepting that I didn't know everything. And I know when I was a student going through camp, teachers and counselors um, that pretended to know everything just made it a little harder to believe. So give them as many resources as possible, um, but don't feel, my opinion, don't feel bad in passing them along to somebody else who might know a little bit more than you or show them YouTubers or TikTokers that might know a little bit more, educate them a little harder. And then again, try and learn alongside with them because it can be a very enlightening experience for the both of you, you know, grow with them. Um, And when I focused on music education, growing along with the student was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever experienced, but it's also very hard to get the camp counselor or the educator to that point, because it takes a lot of humility to understand your position and understand that power dynamic that you have with that student
2: that's really interesting because i mean this is this is definitely like i mean i even experienced this is kind of where this whole thought process for this entire episode came from you know Mm -hmm. i was reading um stamped from the beginning by um, ibram kendi and Mm
0: -hmm.
2: while at a camp and the campers started asking me about you know what i was reading what other stuff i had read you know along the same genre Uh, They told me about things they read and it like we had this really great discussion. This was not a camp in Alabama, (laughs) but (laughs) but that also shows the difference about what you had previously talked about, Carmela, about, you know, really about the culture, because like for us, we're not in a place that wants to necessarily open. I think some of the staff are getting there um, and as they get more comfortable with myself and, and Natalie, you know, we're we're building that culture. But there are camps already out there who the camp I was at was in New York. Very different culture overall, very different group of kids, staff, all of that. And they are more comfortable and they are ready to have these conversations. And that's where the camper question got brought up is because it was a camper who brought it to me. And a lot of the stuff that I have been learning in DEI is to like have these conversations with your staff and to teach your staff. But nobody's talked about when the camper brings it up. And where we go from there. And I think that's something that's really big because, and that's why I wanted to relate it to, you know, the LGBTQ movement um, that started years ago, which yes, now we're all very more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. We are much more easily able to talk about it. Staff are allowed to talk more to campers about it than we could, you know, five, six years ago, even, you know, I feel like it is the campers who are going to start this bigger, more comfortable movement with racial diversity, as because it seems like it almost came from the campers, you know, years ago when we started talking about LGBTQ. Um,
1: and so kind of where we go from there. Yeah, it was a conversation. I feel like I had this conversation with you too, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh reverse mentorship. So the yes. open mindedness. Yeah. Okay. We did talk about this. The open mindedness of learning from someone um, who is in a lower power stance from you because you know when you get older you get more experience you think you're higher up on a pe- pedestal but you also need to remember that you know there's always things changing um, and it's important to understand the perspectives of those who are in a constantly shifting world I'm only 28 years old People may judge me because I'm young, but I have seen a lot of things change and shift and how things feel a lot differently than DEI consultants who have been doing this for, I don't know, you don't hear many DEI consultants <laughs> more than in this industry more than 15 years, yeah. but I feel things very differently because of my age. And I think it's important to have that perspective. Humility is also really hard to teach when you do have that reverse mentorship lifestyle. In my team, um, we have a very it's not a formal formally created, but we have like a loose buddy system where we'll just listen to people below. So we'll just have roundtable meetings, just talk about stuff and just um learn how to prove the team as a whole based on those who have seen new things. It reminds me of a book, The Originals by Professor Adam Grant. How um It's one of my favorite books. It's a good one. (laughs) It's a very good book. Um, And one of the things that stuck out to me is that when you have um, people who come from different teams, different organizations, there's a lot of opportunity for growth because they're disrupting the flow. And the same goes with DEI. And that's why a lot of um, people who want to learn from me want DEIs because they want that different perspective. And you can do that within your team just having someone of lower status just talk a little bit more just listen to them
2: yeah absolutely. so um keeping with this this theme of camper conversation um so if a camper is to say something racially inappropriate how do you feel is the best way for a camp counselor to handle the situation so we had a similar thing come up this summer and the camp counselor brought it directly to me which because it needed some investigation on in which that's absolutely fine I have no problem doing that um but in the moment how might a camp counselor kind of address this situation
1: in the moment that's the tough part um (laughs) yeah there's so many ways to go about this I personally don't believe in cancel culture I'm not gonna go directly to the person say hey that was that was dumb you shouldn't have said that I don't believe in that I believe more in critical thinking and the educational aspect when it comes to um, monitoring language. It's like when you're a kid, you know, your mom tells you, no, you're probably going to do the thing again. Um, <laughs> but educating them on what they did will make it a lot easier for them to not repeat that behavior and help them understand, but also establish with your team that you do take these matters seriously. And um, so just shrugging it under the rug. So what I do is, and this happened a couple months ago um, with a team member, I simply approached him and say, hey, I need to talk to you about what you said earlier to so-and-so. So we just, mm, it was one of the things about feedback is you have to time it right. And it just felt like I needed to let it air off for like a half hour. It was probably like an hour 30, 40 minutes, whatever. Um, Let it air out, let it settle in, remove that awkward silence, approached this team member said, all right, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know where you came from. I know this language is relatively normal where you come from, but here it's not cool. It's not cool to use this kind of language here. I personally don't believe in policing language because everybody has different reasons, diff- have different upbringings, and different words are in- inherently in their vocabulary. But in a place where we live, I don't think this is appropriate. And then we proceeded to talk about the history of certain words and derogatory terms. And when you start talking about the hit. And that was the end of the conversation. Um, When you start talking about the history of derogatory terms and how certain communities are allowed to use, I guess, culturally derogatory terms. I'm just going to say it. Um, (laughs) Only like the N word. It's like, the, it's. I know exactly where you're getting at. Like yeah, okay. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> but it,
2: I mean, it's it's true. You know, you a lot of people feel that within the the black community, some people feel that if they are using the N word, as mm-hmm. as the example we're using here, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's okay for them to say, but mm-hmm. the minute you know someone either within the white community, the Latinx community, you know, indigenous, mm-hmm. if they were to say it it's not appropriate. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think you're, you know, you're getting at a really great point about how, you know, really talking about the history of the word and Mm -hmm. how it's come about. And it's almost like they're kind of taking back ownership of the word when it was Mm -hmm. used derogatorily towards them. Originally they're kind of trying to, I know, that's kind of how I feel like, especially Mm -hmm. with the inward, um, you know, if it is the black community who is using it and they're using it in more of like a friend, you know, describing a friend is the way at least I've seen it. Yeah. Most, most of the time, you know, the black community is describing one of their friends with the N word and it's another person within that same community. Um, they don't see it necessarily as derogatory amongst themselves until Mm -hmm. maybe someone who's white uses it. Um, but then it's also kind of, because of the history of that word it was used by whites derogatorily Mm -hmm. towards blacks and you're kind of keeping it with that meaning as opposed to them kind of taking ownership of it back I feel like that's kind of how I see it I don't know you might have a different opinion Carmela um but I do yeah yeah, I do I see it
1: yeah I do like how you explained that taking the ownership because we're not going to remove the N-word from the vocabulary. it's not going it's very ingrained in American culture. but by allowing them to use it in a way that makes sense to them, they can have fun with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um for my black friends that do use the n-word, like I'm Asian, the word that the derogatory call each other's chink or um there's other, like words, niche out, yeah. words yeah other niche <laughs> words but one of the other ones is chink which historically is because um like japanese uh chinese immigrants when they were building the railroad they couldn't get any other jobs so the chink represents the sound of like um like building the railroads and the sound that like chinese like the language chinese people would make so there's a little history on that terminology and me using that term is like okay it's like calling your friend a bad word like going to your best friend what's up bitch like right. saying things yeah. like that
2: mm-hmm.
1: our staff who are equestrian
2: instructors will sometimes call each other heifers <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> so but it, but exactly it's it's using a word who oh, that you know is outside of the community so like i mean even if i were to go call them a heifer that's going to come differently from me, even though we're all friends than the two of them using it amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or exactly like calling your friend a bitch, like that's, Mm -hmm. it's in a playful way. Um, Mm -hmm. and because there is a relationship there, Mm -hmm. you know, that is, it's context in in a sense. Like it's usually using Mm -hmm. context to, to take that word and and make it more playful.
1: Yeah. Um, relationship and context says a lot about Um, how you can move forward with that person and uh, how you can develop individually as well.
0: All right. So, you know, at
1: what point in these kind of camper led conversations, do
0: you feel that camp counselors um, should encourage campers to kind of continue the conversation at home? on the bus, at <laughs> the bus stop, <laughs> um, but continue on with the conversation outside of the camp setting and have those counselors kind of remove themselves from that conversation.
1: Yeah, my favorite analogy um, when it came to this is, my background's an outdoor educator, right? So a lot of my duties were revolved around, okay, here's the thing, here's lots of things you need to pack, here's the protocol on making a dinner when you're backpacking. Um, here's the protocol for filtering water here's the protocol if you get in danger and I think giving students the tools and protocols and how to approach these conversations and having that mentality would be very beneficial for the student for example and I do this with onboarding my team okay we're wearing our pronoun pins go into the workplace wear your pronoun (laughs) pins I'm like I Before they have that, I have a conversation with them. Okay, a customer is very likely gonna ask you, why do you wear your pronoun? Why do you wear he, him pronouns? You look like a boy. Why is this important for REI? Why care about pronoun pins? You don't care about any other issues going around in the world? And having those conversations with the camp counselor, and passing it and inherently, hopefully, passing it on uh, to the student will make it a lot easier to have those tools, those protocols when they do encounter certain situations that are very likely going to happen or like just in case going to happen. Uh, Giving them those tools to have those conversations will be very beneficial. I guess feel it out how much you want to, how many tools you want to give them. When I was teaching my students backpacking, I'm not going to teach them the whole protocol on how to get evac'd on a helicopter and splinting an arm. I'm not gonna teach them that, but I can predict that, you know, they're gonna need water at some point. For example, when I was working with international students um, talking about how the outdoors is predominantly white and your place as a person of color and as an immigrant in the US um, and explaining these to your parents who are paying for your tuition at university This is a very American experience to go outdoors. It's a very American experience to like take, turn your phone off for a few days at a time. It's a very American experience to turn your phone off, but only turn it on to take Instagram photos. Like a very, (laughs) it's a very strange American thing. And preparing the student for those conversations um, is probably the best tool I can give them if they want to have that conversation on the bus or with their parents, you know, that's their journey. It's not ours. The best we can do is give them as many tools as possible to be ready whenever they are ready. Because you can't force anybody to come out. You can't force anybody to talk about their experiences when they're not ready. It's very hard and very challenging.
2: I think that's a really good point you made. And and i know that you know us as as camp directors really want to educate our staff because dei is so much in our current events not just in in you know the news but in within camping but what you said about not kind of forcing the issue because not everybody is ready to talk about it and it's their own journey you know bringing that into camp yes i think it's important so for when kids are ready or staff are ready but not to force it upon them. Um, And, you know, just because everyone in the camping industry is talking about DEI, especially on the racial diversity aspect of it, you know, there's so many other avenues of diversity, equity, and inclusion that, you know, really knowing your staff and knowing your culture and yes, having tools, but maybe broadening it out so that, you know, they know that you can you're there for them to have those conversations when they're ready, but not to, to entirely force it upon them um, just because everyone else in the camping industry is so rooted in racial diversity right now or or things like that, you know, really looking at, you know, your community and your culture as
1: a as a camp. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking gender, your guide. I'm looking at the book right now, and there was a page, page and a half. And it really stuck out to me compared to most of the book about how you shouldn't force everybody to wear their pronoun pins. And I carried um, that mentality along with my team. Like, you can't force anybody to come out and prematurely talk about their pronouns or gender pr- or gender presentation. And same goes with um, how else they want to present, you know. It took me a long time to talk about my mental health. It took me a long time to talk about being a person of color and my alignment with the white majority and also with Black folk and being somewhere in the middle with the intersectionality. It took me a long time to talk about those. And even though I inherently knew these things for a few years now, it wasn't until this past year that I fully accepted that even though I'm light skinned, my culture and freedom relies on the black community. And although it may be true, it's not something that I was open to talking about in the past, until the past year. You know, it was just a lot of hard conversations with myself, with my therapist and other people in my community and other leaders that helped help me explore that. And um, I would like to thank my supervisors and my directors who have had those conversations with me, but they never, forced me to talk about my experiences like that.
0: Kamala, there's a lot of staff who might want to get into DEI work in their professional career, again, outside of their their camp career when they're done being a camp counselor. Um, So is there anything else that you'd like to add or share with those people who might be looking for a career in DEI work um, in the near future?
1: Yeah, there's so much. Um, (laughs) What... (laughs) It, there really is. Um, I have been curious about this work since probably 2018, 2019, my first speaking, um, my first speaking gig for the Student Outdoor Education Conference in Northern Wisconsin at Asheville, Ashland College, Asheville College um, in Northern Wisconsin. And I was like, I don't know how to go about it. I spoke at it because I wanted free admission <laughs> for, for hey, the It's event. a great way to get into <laughs> some of those smaller conferences. Yeah, like, um, I was like, I really want to go see everybody else, you know, see what other people like workshop on how to canoe, work on paddling techniques, all that good stuff. And I was like, what can I really talk about? And I was like, oh, I'm a person of color. Let's talk about diversity in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, And the next step after that is figuring out, I would probably say a niche in the DEI space, because after that speaking arrangement, I spoke very broadly, was diverse, how to diversify the outdoors, why we need diversity, something like that and it was super broad it was a half hour presentation it was super broad and I was like I want to do this again but um what do I do and I spoke like a year later at the American Camp Association year later two years later um for the Women in Camp Conference in I want to say December 2019 2020 something like that Mm -hmm. and focused more on Um, multicultural communications and how to talk to people of different cultures and a lot of it came from my background because of my how I approach leadership as a person of color for being a Filipino American how I perceive power and leadership because my parents are Filipino but also my ability to flex between that because of my American upbringing and I chose that niche because I was struggling to bridge that gap between my upbringing and um, how I grew up But anyway, um, I think figuring out a specific part in DEI that really resonates with you. Uh, I can go with uh, executive leadership, uh, land reparations, conservation, uh, urban development, camp, retail, um, development. There's so many different aspects Mm -hmm. in DEI that you can focus on um, that I think if you figure out one thing that in DEI that makes you super passionate, um, it makes it a lot easier for you to be hired um, if you wanna go into a team or join as a consultant or start your own consulting firm because it's so overwhelming. And this past year I got a little more experience when it comes to uh, land reparations and urban, urban development in DEI. Super fascinating. A lot more work. A lot more government-based contracts. A lot more uh, nonprofit-based speakings. And as fun as those experiences were, I focus more on like the leadership aspect because one, that's where my background is um, as a former educator and someone who um, has been perceived differently because of the way I communicate back then, and exploring those in a way that supporting DEI in a way that makes sense to me, getting more people of color into the outdoor industry, working in these industries, because there needs to be more diversity in, in the outdoor spaces, but also um, developing more people who are passionate about the outdoors as well as a result. So that's my perspective on DEI. And another thing on top of that is finding a couple people that create content that really resonate with you. So... Two people, two women, three women, actually. Remember a quote: "We rely on the backs of our women." Um, I follow a lot of DEI women consultants, and I love the content they produce. They do short five-day challenges, ten-day challenges, but also they empower me. A consultant who's slowly winding down, trying to shut down her business because she went full-time into Altera. Annie Gao, based out of Denver, uh, she and I email each other. She challenges me. Find someone who challenges you, someone you want to look up to um, when it comes to DEI. Figure out their perspectives um, on how they approach DEI as well, because it's very overwhelming out there. There's so much stuff you can find on the internet, so just really picking out a few people that you really want to, like, follow and learn from it'll make it a lot easier to continue on in that journey
2: yeah and and also i would say to to not it doesn't necessarily have to be racially focused you know Mm -hmm. diversity equity and inclusion does cover so many different areas i mean we we focus on racial diversity today and a little bit of lgbtq and gender inclusivity but there's so much more out there and so when you're talking about finding your niche it doesn't you know letting people know it doesn't necessarily have to be on the racial aspect or the gender inclusivity aspect. I mean, it could be on the disability aspect. It could be on the neurodivergent aspect. There's so many sectors of <laughs> Dei work
1: too that are ever involving to to really oh, yeah. you know dive into. I've networked around with some Dei consultants, and if you find the intersectionality between Dei and like marketing and sales, That's a very young niche Mm -hmm. that not many people have experience in. You know, if you want to do this in like two, three years, you know, you're going to have a career if you focus on like (laughs) how to copyright for, and I'm struggling with this because my client wants this, um, redoing some of the content on their websites because they want more like queer marriages or interracial marriages. I think that'd be really cool, but I personally don't know how to write content for that and if someone out there knows how to do that, you know, I'm looking <laughs> for somebody. Um, but there's a really, really nice niche there, like writing content, working on language, just okay. for sales. Like that's a really specific one. Integrating that into like all aspects of business is a definitely wanted skill set mine is more data. I know a lot of data. I know how to read data. I know how to do surveys um, and I know how to do education, but when it comes to like marketing again, you know, whoever can do that, you know, hit me up. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. So before we, we fully wrap up,
2: is there anything else, Carmela, that you, that we may have missed that you wanted to mention about, you know, camps and DEI work?
1: Not really, but I do want to say this one thing, and this is something that I, The first DEI person that has opened me up to this kind of work uh, says, you know, if you made it this far, you care. You obviously care when it comes to building more inclusive teams and developing the culture within your team. So I want to congratulate whoever is listening to committing to this kind of work and is curious on how to take this kind of work on themselves because... I don't know who you are, listeners, but I am proud of you for making it this far, because this kind of work is not easy. This work is not easy at all. And I've been doing this for a while. By a while, I mean like three, four years. And, you know, people are nice on the internet. If you follow. (laughs) (laughs) I like to know what sites you're seeing. I know. (laughs) It's It's hard. I'm in a very fortunate part of the internet um, where, you know. I've talked to DEI consultants who have done some pro bono work. They offer some pro bono work, limited hours. They have like five pro bono speaking engagements um, per year, just making up numbers. They have limits on how much free work they can do. But also those that are willing to network, give you free resources. It's another thing that I say to myself is uh, fortune favors the bold. Very uh, Marine-y of a saying, but you know, um, I might not have the time, but if you hit me up on LinkedIn, I can give you as many resources as possible because I do create a lot of resources that I can liberally give out to people. So feel free to reach out to me on there, because I think if you care enough, you should have some resources to be able to take it upon yourself because DEI consultants, you know, money, money is nice. Don't get me wrong, but we're in this work because we want to create more equitable work. And my personal perspective is if I have the resources, which I have a ton of, I am more than willing to give it to you. But yeah, thank you for uh, challenging challenging yourself and um, taking this upon yourself. Awesome. So we will put it in the
2: end of the show notes. But Carmela, if people have questions, they want to get in touch with you, they want to further this conversation
1: with you, what are the best ways for them to get in touch with you? So I have my personal LinkedIn. Oh gosh, it's like current LinkedIn. Well, we can put
2: it in the show notes. Just All send right, it to yes. me and I'll,
1: I'll, <laughs> we'll get it in the show notes for your LinkedIn. So LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm still developing my podcast, Not Mad, Just Misunderstood, which will have the same name as my DEI consulting firm that I just launched. Um, the podcast will focus more on exploring um, diverse stories in the outdoors and what we can learn from these experiences as well. This is more aimed for the BIPOC community but um, welcome for any listeners. Um, I have my personal website which I'm still working on (laughs) and um, from that I will hopefully in the next month or two be launching that email which will have like a resource and give you homework on how to develop your DEI within your team. So you can use that either as something to journal on, meditate on, or a roundtable discuss on.
2: Fantastic.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So
2: we just want to say thank you, Carmela, for taking the time today to talk with us and our listeners. I think this is such an important topic um, and something that hasn't really gone into that thought process just yet. We're still kind of very, I won't say we're new to it because I feel like we're a couple <laughs> years in now. So we're, we're getting a lot more steam, a lot more you know information on what's going on. But in terms of getting into the how to train our staff, what conversations, I think we are starting to kind of really, we're now at that point, it's time to dig in. So thank mm-hmm. you, Carmela, for being thank here you. today. And we will make sure all of her ways of getting in contact with her are in our show notes so check those out really interested to hear that podcast once you launch it um and so we will see you all next time
1: bye Bye, everyone. everyone bye thank you